And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we begin a Friday. Gary. Hello. There's so much going on. The mind is working overtime. And it's a Friday. We should be able to just mail it in. Yeah, or phone it in or... Mail in, phone in, whatever. Something slower than radio waves at 186,000 miles per second. Wire it in. Wire it in. <laughs> Telegraph it in. Telegraph it in. <laughs> no, that still goes at 186,000 miles per second. Well, what about... Uh, Pony uh, Express. Morris coded in. <laughs> well, that would still be wire. Yeah. Anything with electricity is going to get but you But it up would there. take us a long time to figure out Morris code for every word. Oh, that is true. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If we wanted to go that far. Now, I used to know all the Morse code. I used to know uh, semi-four. Remember the flags? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. With the flags? So. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, communicate with the flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that brings back a memory. Yeah, and I, and I just said that's too hard, so I'm going to do radio. Yeah. All I have to do yeah. is talk. <laughs> Look, don't be handing me any flags. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw it up. That'd be tough to do a, uh, uh, a talk show that way. Well, you know, when... When when I learned that it would it was in my head it was like man the Soviet if they put me in charge the Soviets are going to win <laughs> it's over don't put me in charge well I have to say this yeah in this day and age where so much tribalism exists mm-hmm. right yeah. we, we've talked about the tribalism that yeah. that, that yeah. exists yeah. the political idolatry that a, a, exists where people are just you know. They're absolutely loyal to one person, and if you don't agree with them, then they wish to reject you. And then the tribalism that exists just in general today in our society based on politics, the Democrats versus uh, Republicans and everything else, it is refreshing to finally realize that all is this insanity. Yeah. And I realized this yesterday after I got a call from Independent Bob. The insanity yeah. has brought friends that used to disagree with me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. completely in agreement with me where I have an hour conversation with my old friend, Independent Bob. Ah, yeah. And there is no arguing on any topic. Yeah, right. 
Je- the only arguing might be the degree of the insanity of the left. Yeah. And on one issue, I might say in a scale from 1 to 10, it's a 9, and Bob would say it's a 10, or I'd say it's a 10, and Bob would say it's a 9. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then that's really it. I mean, it's just, it's great because, uh, and and for those people that may be new listeners to the show, I've been talking about Independent Bob since you and I started working together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because really, when you and I started working together, it was 2005, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I met Independent Bob in 2006 when I was building my house. Right. That's when I met him. So, And, and we used to. I mean, I, I, of, I often have told the story that we were down at the uh, the, the lake, the uh, the marina restaurant bar, mm. and we used to get in. You know, that's where he, hey, come on, meet me down there. Beautiful place, by the way. Mm. Water's beautiful. Nice mm. rolling hills. Mm-hmm. Ninety seconds from my house, mm-hmm. and we would get into arguments all the time. And other people would join us, and at times they would be screaming. And one time we got into one of our discussions, a beautiful summer night, but it was late, like midnight. And I'm just like, all right, I've had it with you. I I just can't get through to you. I just can't get through. It's impossible to get through to you. And this is when, and I call him Independent Bob, he was, you know, stating, which it doesn't anymore, but it used to tick me off. Well, you know, I'm not on the right and I'm not on the left. What I do is I take a look at every issue out there and I judge the issue by the merits itself. Well, you, mm-hmm. Implying <laughs> in my mind that I did not. <laughs> because, Unlike you. <laughs> right, right. So, but no, by the way, he's a great guy, just mm-hmm. super guy. And we're mm-hmm. going to be golfing together in the next month, which is, I think, the original reason why he called me just to. You know, talk about the golf tournament we're going to be in. All right. Now, Independent Bob has moved. He doesn't live in Texas anymore. I don't see him all the time. He moved to Arkansas. Traitor. Yeah. So, and we really can't. Although Arkansas is really nice, too. Well, it's like we really can't be Independent Bob and unless you're leaning Democrat and wish to be closer to the mindset of the Clintons. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the one time I'm like, I'm at it. I'm done. I'll I'll see you later. I get up, I walk out. There's all these young people sitting at a table right there next to us. This is more in the bar area where they have the high tables where people stand around them. Right. And the guy says, hey, uh, sir, sir, yes, are you Gary McNamara? And this is it's like midnight. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, oh, no. I said, yeah, how do you know? And he goes, I could tell by your your louder voice when, when you were passionate that's independent, Bob. <laughs> I, bring a, so I grab Bob, pull him over to the table. The discussion continues. <laughs> I I had somebody recognize me by my voice one time, and it was weird because it was, uh, it was not. It was we were kind of out in the open. It, it was you know at it, we were at a a place where uh, we were walking, and and somebody recognized my voice, and. Actually, it's happened twice. A waiter recognized my voice. And then when I gave him my credit card, a server. They don't say waiter and waitress anymore. Chicks hate that. All right. That's uh, uh, that's one demerit. Here. Yeah. That's- and so uh, the, the server took my card and confirmed it because my name is on my card. Uh, surprisingly. But I had that happen to me one time. 
what do you, the guy says, what do you do for a living? I said, radio. Okay. And it wasn't long after our show. It was about an hour after our show ended. So yeah, that's happened. By the way, uh, to Bob's credit, since he has moved to Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has become the governor. <laughs> I'm not saying Bob did that, but yeah, we all know Bob did that. <laughs> and to the people of Arkansas, you're welcome. My laugh got recognized on the golf course once. Mm. This yeah. goes back years ago. Yeah. Uh, in Texas, though. Right. I was laughing. I was working. I believe I was working with you because it was mm. pretty long. Yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. But this has to go back to probably 2005, 2006. Right. I can still remember I started laughing. The guy says, I got it. Because mm. I missed trying to figure out where. Yeah. Where he knew the voice from. I yeah. my laugh. Yeah. The la- because I missed a pot. So mm. when I missed the pot, instead of, you know, as I used to be when when I was a golfer, which if I couldn't hit the ball with the stick properly, as I've always said, I had the rage of a serial killer directed at myself. Mm-hmm. That's how out of control. That's really the one time in my life. I ask myself the question, do I have a mental problem? I'm able to handle everything, but the rage I would feel inside was almost uncontrollable, and it only appeared in no other aspect that it appear in my life except hitting a ball with a stick. And a friend of mine just said, no, 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 that's part of your competitive nature. You have to have that. You just need to keep that under control. But the rage I would feel would last, oh, I don't know. Two or three hours. I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to talk. I just mm-hmm. didn't want to. I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I was furious. I don't have that anymore. But uh, by that time, even I had overcome it, and I missed a putt and just laughed. You know, just yeah. laughed. The guy goes, "Got it, right? I know that laugh. You're Gary McNamara." It's like, oh, wow, right? Yeah. And it wasn't from any discussion that we had. It I, was I, I had that when I was younger. If I had trouble learning a cover tune you know in a metal band you've got to you've got to get it right because everybody everybody judges you the thing is it's almost like a contest there were certain artists you could cover and it's like okay you know you you get people on the dance floor or whatever you know they get out there and they're you know they're listening and then you don't have to do everything perfect other artists that you cover it's got to be precise. You've got it's it's like a challenge. It's like, hey, we do this song. Oh, you guys covered that song. Well, let me hear it. Well, that would be my frustration, and that started at a very early age. Uh, Thirteen, fourteen. I was playing in working bands, and then mm-hmm. up until you know, I don't know, whenever it is, I stopped. That was always frustrating to me because I could hear it. But couldn't do it. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, we didn't have sheet and, music in front of us. And I guess that, and, and the thing is, in the other sports I played, you know, basketball and hockey, mm-hmm. you have that, the the controlled, whatever you want to call it, extreme mm-hmm. aggression, yeah. uh, controlled rage is actually, I believe, a necessity. Well, I, it, was, you need it forced to have that, me but to, it wor- but to it learn wor- the song right to, right, to make sure that I got it right before I showed up. But it works against you in golf. It's a completely different mindset. You can't do that. You have to be completely, you have to be focused but completely relaxed. And I wasn't used to that in sports. Oh, I see. Yeah. I really wasn't. Right. You know, it's a thing where it's like, okay, made, you know, made the mistake. But, I mean, I would be furious. 
And yeah. it would get to a point, especially if I missed one, the anger, then two shots, and then it just keeps multiplying because you're not focusing. Mm-hmm. And so it's gone. it really is gone and buried because I really don't have a twinge of it anymore. It probably exists somewhere in there, but it, as Al Gore said a long time ago, it's in a lockbox. Yeah. Yeah, right. I put my rage in a lockbox. Yeah, <laughs> sure you did. <laughs> well, I mean, wow, uh, coming up today, just so much going on. By the way, uh, Canada, by the Democratic standard, is now xenophobic, since that seems to be the word of the uh, the day yesterday after the uh, testimony from the TikTok executive, because uh, now uh, TikTok is stating that Congress is xenophobic. Ah. And it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then uh, Canada, uh, by the way, is now uh, has agreed. Uh, well, the United States and Canada have agreed to send any migrants back to the United States who go to Canada. So, by the Democrat standard, Canada is now xenophobic. Yes, just just want to inform you, Canada, that you're xenophobic, uh, com- uh, which is the Democratic standard. If you don't fully accept everyone who comes to your country, you're a xenophobe. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but so, under, I, I understand that. Canada. But they, it, they've had this practice for a long time, turning people away. Why are you here? Yeah. You know, they're they're not uh, welcoming like the liberals of the United States. They have to get it together. Yeah. Their mindset is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know this is really going to offend some Canadians, but you aren't as insanely liberal as our liberals. <laughs> exactly. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> and let it be known, I have great affection for Canada. My my dad's side came from Canada. From the Toronto area and the Halliburton Highlands. That's where the McNamara clan was. All right. Halliburton Highlands. Halliburton Highlands. Sounds like a stadium. <laughs> hey everybody uh, welcome to the halliburton highlands no, it's, a be- it's a beautiful place we used to go up to boy scouts camp we used to go to northern lights all the time up there yeah all right it's been a long time i haven't been over the border in probably oh wow it's got to be probably 2003 2004 so, I, I'm, so i'm wondering would, would i be allowed over i mean i've been doing conservative talk radio now on a national scale i might be banned i might not be able to get over so so let me get this straight Halliburton is such a big and powerful company that they got the naming rights <laughs> to, to, the part of, to part of Canada. <laughs> yes, <exactly>. Wow. <laughs> That's Dick, huge. Dick Cheney owns Canada. <laughs> yeah. I had to go back to the Iraq war for that one, by the way. Yeah. So uh, we will uh, we will get to that and a mm. whole bunch more. We are, Well, we got, we, we got a great show ahead. I mean, the, the insanity of the of the uh, trying to analyze what's going on in the grand jury in New York and and uh, and and brag uh, parental rights now being discussed on the House floor and now Republicans plan that says parents have rights to know what their children are doing is being interpreted by the Democrats as parents don't have rights. I mean, it's amazing yeah, that yeah. you know what they're trying to do, and of course they have to lie about what the goal is from republicans on this but it's okay because it makes it fun yeah right. so we'll we'll get to that and a whole bunch more it's the friday show 866 red eye 
It's not always easy to spring back from the harsh days of winter to warmer months ahead. From de-icing chemicals to hidden debris underneath snow and ice, winter conditions can do serious damage to your truck. Here's a must-do maintenance check to help you minimize downtime and stay rolling. Inspect your brake hoses, linings, and slack adjusters for any wear and tear. Listen for any air leaks that may have resulted from moisture freezing up in the system. Check slack adjusters for proper stroke and lubrication. And check your brake linings or pads to ensure proper thickness. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Well, uh, this coming out in the last couple of hours, the U.S. military carried out several airstrikes in Syria uh, on uh, on Thursday in response to a drone strike that Iranian forces conducted earlier in the day on a coalition base that killed one American. The Defense Department said Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps crashed a UAV into a building in northeast Syria approximately at 1.38 p.m. PM local time leaving one U.S. contractor dead. The attack also wounded five U.S. service members and another U.S. contractor. U.S. intelligence assessed the UAV and determined it to be of Iranian origin, and so they uh, authorized a, a uh, the military to retaliate. Uh, the Said the Secretary of Defense, Austin, at the direction of President Biden, I'd authorize the U.S. Central Command Forces to conduct precision airstrikes tonight in eastern Syria against facilities used by groups affiliated with the Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. So, you know, you sit there and you look at what happened, and the Iranians have been relatively quiet when attacking, attacking Americans, you know, since Trump went after Soleimani. Yeah. And and so you look at this and say, okay, is this a test to see? Of course it's a test to see how the, the United States will respond. Yeah, will right. they respond? And this is probably what the Iranians expected. Okay, they're going to do their own targeted uh, their own targeted things, which normally has been U.S. response. Mm-hmm. And you and I talked about this yesterday, how when Trump took out Soleimani, right? That was yeah. his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden, everything stopped because you went after the leaders. You weren't just going back and forth. They don't care. They expect that you're going to go after you know, military installations or maybe infrastructure because that's what they were thinking back then. And Trump was criticized initially for not doing it. When they went after Soleimani, it was like, boom, it stopped. And and so is this a test by Iran? Most likely, yes, to see how this administration will respond. Well, I think it's it, you see that you also see the, you know, uh, Russia's play. Uh, they took Crimea during the Obama administration. And then, of course, now with Ukraine, um, that's, I think, more than a lot more than a test. That is Putin demonstrating clearly that he does not fear. Uh, a democratic president he just doesn't for whatever reason he doesn't fear biden and so with iran same thing i don't think they have any confidence this is something we talked about in the botched exit of afghanistan our allies don't have confidence in this administration that was out the door and you heard from them they were not quiet about it 
And this is exactly what is going to happen, especially during, you know, between now and November of next year. They know, oh, you don't want to be a wartime president. Remember, you're the guy that pulled out of Afghanistan. What are you going to do about it? And and here is this statement right here. The Pentagon said the U.S. took proportionate and deliberate action that limited the risk of escalation in its Mm -hmm. targeted response. Mm -hmm. Well, when we have used, and I think this is one thing that we learned with Trump, if you do it proportionate, the war actually continues. If you make it more than proportionate, as they did by taking out Soleimani, all of a sudden sudden the leaders go, well, we don't want to die. Right. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Giving you 70% each night. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. We give you 70% because 60% is considered quiet quitting. So It is? Well, I just made it up, so yeah. Uh, Why not? I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know how much quiet quitting is. I've never quantified it. You know, I don't even know, I don't, this is one of those days I don't know, excuse me, I don't know where to start. Well, I guess I'll start here. Okay. <laughs> Michael Avenetti believes that <laughs> D.A. Bragg has a weak case against Trump. It's weird, all week I've been thinking of Avenetti thinking, well, he's got to be Bragg's next witness, right? <laughs> Avenetti no longer touted as presidential timber. <laughs> Newsbusters did this. Media Research Center, uh, PJ Gladnick. That may be the line of, of the week. 
Uh, Avenetti no longer touted as presidential timber. <laughs> Thinks Alvin Bragg's case is weak to the point of hopeless. Uh, the uh, <laughs> the two biggest impediments in the in the, to the conviction of Trump over the hush money payments are Michael Cohen's fifteen months of lies during the twenty seventeen eighteen. Well. During 2017-18, when he called me a liar mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and claimed it was entirely his idea and Trump knew nothing, and to his recent TV interviews for his own ego. Mm-hmm. So, and that was that was Evanetti back in January of yeah. this year. Yeah, that was earlier. And then uh, he did a couple last week, and uh, just you know. Same same thing. Yeah, that uh, there is no case now. Interestingly enough, you know there was no grand jury testimony yesterday, and everybody's trying to figure out what's uh, what's going on. Um, reading Andrew McCarthy here, hmm. uh, Fox News contributor, National Review writer, based on experience. Moreover, we can deduce Bragg has misgivings because. He's already mothballed the investigation at least once over a year ago. We, and we've talked about that mm. uh, uh, before. And then he gets into uh, what we had talked about. Also worth noting is the last witness whom the grand jury reportedly heard, Bob Costello, who uh, appeared on Monday, has publicly stated he gave nearly three hours of scathing testimony about Bragg's key witness, Michael Cohen, Costillo further indicates that he provided the DA's office with hundreds of emails and other documents that paint Cohen as basically a pathological liar. And this is really interesting because you just wonder, uh, I'd, I'd just love to to see if it went this way. I would have loved to be a fly in the wall because mm-hmm. it says, and he encouraged the grand jury to demand to scrutinize all these documents rather than content itself with the half dozen or so, he says, Bragg's prosecutors cherry-picked to ask him about. I guess my my point would be, did he go after Bragg while Bragg was there in front of the grand jury? Wow, I mean that would have been that would have been pretty that would have been pretty awesome to see. The grand jurors, however, are at liberty to ask prosecutors to show them evidence. And if the prosecutors won't, to hold it against the state if they are asked to vote on in, uh, on an indictment. For example, the prosecution can't come up like a judge, for example, and say, you can only make your judgment based on what you heard here and what we allowed you to hear. Mm-hmm. It cannot have been a surprise to the grand jury that Cohen is a scoundrel. <laughs> they undoubtedly <laughs> uh, been told in the course of Cohen's testimony, which lasted two days last week, about his fraud and perjury convictions. His credibility problem, though substantial, are not necessarily fatal in a case that essentially is about financial records that has a paper trail. Furthermore, to the extent the grand jurors conclude that he was a 
disreputable lawyer and business person. They all may also infer that this is precisely why Trump worked intimately with him for years, which would be a legit point to consider. Yeah, okay. He's just talking about the point you consider. Mm-hmm. There is a limit uh, to how much of the gory details of Cohen's brass knuckles uh, 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 tactics hurt the state. Nevertheless, we're talking about a trifling case here. In cases involving serious crimes, jur- juries cut prosecutors a lot of slack regarding the deplorable, deplorable character of their witnesses. It is common sense that upright people do not collaborate with mobsters, drug cartels, gangbangers, terrorists, and other hardened uh, crooks if the prosecutor could not elicit testimony uh, from the dodgy accomplices of criminals, then the most heinous offenders would be insulated from accountability. He said, but that doesn't necessarily hold true in a trifling case. And so he just, he he goes on and... uh, he said, he, as he writes, at the minimum, and this is something that you and I asked, because in the beginning of the week or when this testimony happened with Costello, you and I both said, well, I, you know, I said it over and over again, I feel like I'm missing something here. Because how can he possibly go forward with this? There's got to be something, you know, there's got to be something he has to have. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, this is the same prosecutor that actually in public, after he got into office, said, well... Um, here's the deal on armed robbery. If you go in to rob somebody with a gun, but you don't pull the trigger, well, then we're not going to charge you with a felony. Mm-hmm. If he is that delusional to publicly promote that that is his goal as a district attorney, and he's that delusional to believe that he can get the public behind it, now he had to rescind that. He'd have backed yeah, off on right. that. Yeah, yeah. But if he's that delusional to say that, well, then I, I had to think, well, maybe he's delusional to believe that he can bring this particular case with the evidence that he has and actually get a conviction in court because he believes that the jury and the judges are so anti-Trump that they'll go for it. Well, is he getting pushback from the grand jury? That's what I wondered when uh, it hit uh, the first time that that the there was testimony that was delayed. Then I thought, all right, is the grand jury are they do they have all new considerations after hearing from Costello on Monday? You would have to, because the considerations would be. Number one, why would Costello come forward and risk everything? Cohen doesn't have anything else to risk. If Cohen's lying, Cohen's lying. Now, it is still against the law to lie to a grand jury, despite what Bill Clinton may tell you. (laughs) Uh, So there could be other charges if if Costello is, is lying. If it's about it's okay right, to exactly. lie to a grand jury. Well, remember that. Was- but maybe that's what Cohen is going on because he's saying, well, this is only about sex. <laughs> <laughs> Technically speaking. No, no, but when Trump's having, if Trump's having sex, is a completely different ballgame. Yeah, let's then. not even go there. Uh, so <laughs> let's, let's quickly get out of that part of it. You started it. I, yeah, well, I don't know why I did. So the whole thing. <laughs> 
I know you are, but what am I? This is the problem with hanging out with Hunter too much. Um, you know, this is the that has to be the first question. If you're on that grand jury, why would Costello come forward? All right, the promise of being part of the Trump organization long term, yeah. But in what capacity, if he's lying to a grand jury and he's found lying to a grand jury, he could go to prison. He could go to jail. He could be disbarred. He could lose everything. And all of that then is, you know, because it makes you wonder what they've heard up until now. If they've heard anything that's even remotely exculpatory in nature. And the, the, from what we know, they haven't. Maybe they did, and it just didn't get out. I've never served on a grand jury. Mm-hmm. And and so all I'm doing is asking questions here. And I want to make this clear because sometimes I'll ask questions to make a point. Mm-hmm. I'm not, in this case, I'm legitimately asking these questions. I'm not trying to make a point by asking a question. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before, that you can make great points sometimes by asking the right questions you're still making the point instead of making statements by asking the question but i guess it would be in grand juries it has to have happened where the grand jury realizes that they're being manipulated by well let me put in a question form I mean, it has had to happen, but I'll put the question, Does is, is there a point with some grand juries, even if politically they agree with you, where it is so obvious that they are attempting to lead you in one direction when there is massive evidence or, uh, you know, uh, uh, massive cross-examination that hasn't been done and somebody like Costello comes in and actually tells you, don't pay attention to what, don't go to the four or five emails they're giving you. I've mm-hmm. got 300 of these. Mm-hmm. I've worked with this. And then at what point did that letter from, and, and, and maybe it hasn't been introduced. Maybe the grand jurors have seen this in the news, that the the letter from Cohen's attorney to the Federal Elections Commission that basically states Cohen did all of this. This is Cohen admitting in that case. This isn't Cohen Cohen admitting it to Costello and then hearsay evidence from Costello. Costello can back up his 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 opinion with the actual piece of paper, the letter that Cohen's attorney wrote to the Federal Elections Commission, where they would not charge Trump with a federal elections campaign violation. Right. Well, that blows your entire defense of a felony by tying the business fraud to, uh, you know, to another crime, mm-hmm. which is how you get to the second degree, which gets you the felony state if the FEC says there's been no crime or violation. Right. And here's another thing. Does the law in New York, is the weak spot also that the Federal Elections Commission violation is actually not a crime. It's a civil offense, which is why you are fined. But if you're not fined, 
there is no government entity that has found you guilty of even a violation, even if it is considered a low-level crime but only a fine, and all that came together, and the grand and the grand jurors are asking these questions, and Bragg's going, "Oh man, what do I do here?" Right. Well, yeah, that's you know that's ultimately the question. If they have been led down the road by only one set of you know this this set of evidence that that Bragg is providing, and and testimony from Cohen and you know whoever but nothing exculpatory in nature you don't learn anything until costello steps up and it changes everything because yeah. it did and then that letter like i said the now yeah. but has that letter been introduced or has that letter that letter's been out there for a couple of years about five years now because it's 2018 right mm-hmm yeah, and the jurors are like, "Excuse me, this is I, we didn't. Why wouldn't we know about this? the the grand jurors? Why didn't we get this? So there's so many questions. Is there a point that even if they all agree with you politically, where they say you're manipulating us away from what the truth is, right? In this matter, right? You're setting us up to be, you know, uh, 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 as a tool to get your political agenda done. Eight six six ninety red eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. And finally, I was just reading here the last portion from Andrew McCarthy's analysis of what's going on with the grand jury there in New York. The DA knows he's playing with fire, though, he writes. Again, the case is so dubious, he's already walked away from it once. Perhaps Costello's appearance reminded Bragg of why he suspended the stormy investigation a year ago. If he's having misgivings again, that's a good thing. But is he having misgivings? Right now, we just don't know. All we know is that an indictment looks less likely now than it looked when the week started. And anything won't develop until next week now. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, Andrew McCarthy was one of those saying at the end of last week that he thought it was going to be likely this week. Yeah. Things have changed drastically this week. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, 866-90-RED-EYE. He's Eric Hurley and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and listen when and where you choose. You know, the other thing about, uh, if, if you think about uh, Bragg and his uh, effort to uh, indict Trump uh, and uh, over the Stan- Stormy Daniels case, he's even getting pressure now from Democrats. Democrats are looking at this saying, you're killing this because you're coming out with the what they believe is the weakest case first. Yeah. Right, and so everything's going to seem politicized uh, by you know 
by doing this. And you really, but what it really comes down to is even Democrats understand that's why Schumer wouldn't even comment on it. You don't have a case. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and, you know, the, the problem with that, I'm sure that the Democrats feel is that all the media energy that's going to be spent on this case, that's already been spent on it. How do you change that when ultimately it's going nowhere and any other case that comes forward against Trump is going to be, you know, and their mind is whether it's Georgia or the special prosecutor case, which good luck with that one. Um, but are you going to get the same hit from the media? Are you going to get the same response from the consumers of the media when this case goes nowhere? That's the problem. You can't fall on your face right out of the gate. Uh, it's a zero case. He's got nothing. And... I don't know of one person saying, oh, my gosh, this is going to be it. He's got Trump. No. And so is that pressure also coming from uh, the left on this? You know, what in the world are you doing? Look, when I, you know, we started the show with it, with, but with Michael Avenetti, with Michael Avenetti, which I've been thinking about him all week, thinking, gosh, he's got to be, you know, as bad as this case is, he's got to be one of the key witnesses for. For Bragg, for the grand jury, when he's coming out saying, yeah, you got nothing, then you know it's over. Tell me somebody on the left that's saying this is a worthy case. I Maybe I missed it. The view, maybe. Maybe the Could view. Could be. Yeah. Whoopi had her eye surgery. Maybe she can see things better. Maybe she's reviewed the documents and said, oh, this is definitely worth pursuing. I don't even know if anyone on The View has come out and said, this is a worthy case. Now I'm curious. I don't know how much, how much they, do we have to pay I, Kevin I, Tober to go back and watch The yeah, View from the entire week? I think they did. <laughs> I think they did last week. I think they did last week. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, since the, again, the Costello testimonials have really, really hurt it. And we weren't missing anything. I mean, it was, you know, as we had found out that, uh, you know, the grand jury must have said we want to hear the testimony. Mm -hmm. And so, because they didn't have to hear the testimony. Nope. And so. Uh, and and that's, the, that point alone, the fact that they wanted to hear something that they were being told was exculpatory in nature tells me that and and then you based on what Costello has said that he told them you you add those two together and then the letter we don't know if the letter's gotten to the grand jury if that's even a consideration at this point but eventually it would get to the you know in a in a court case it would definitely see the light of day And so that may be, you know, that that may be a consideration for Bragg alone, and maybe the the grand jury isn't considering the letter uh, that came out uh, Wednesday. The uh, 
New York Post published that Wednesday. Yeah. So. Which means they know about it. They certainly have to. I don't know how they don't. But if they're feeling duped by Bragg, you know, we believe we should be looking at everything in a case, not just the things you funnel through. Because Costello's testimony changed everything. And if that wasn't enough, then certainly the letter had a massive impact on on how it undermines the entire key witness for the prosecution. Yeah, it's just uh, amazing. I will tell you, this has been one of the weeks, though, uh, where I have had that perverted sense of awe, as I call it. Mm Mm-hmm. Where it's like everything is like, what? Really? You got to be kidding me! Mm-hmm. And, and and because of the degree of, it seems in the this particular case, legal stupidity from uh, Bragg's side. And I've always stated that from what we know, he's going after. Again, he hasn't spoken. It's experts looking at this and saying, okay, this is the only thing that they could be charging Donald Trump possibly with. And the DA has not come out and said, no, those aren't the charges that we're considering. Yeah, right. So from the charges we're considering from the very beginning, we said there really isn't a case here. Mm-hmm. You're making you're trying to create a new law. You know, you're trying to sit there and say, OK, the law says this. And so we're going to take this and go with this, even though there is no. And this is the thing that really got to me from the very beginning, even before Costello's testimony. And, and I mentioned it earlier last hour, but I think it's worth mentioning again, is the fact that they're saying that Trump committed business fraud because he uh, paid his lawyer, but what he documented uh, on it, what it, what it was for, was business fraud because he documented it as being for a, uh, a retainer instead of payments to Stormy Daniel. That's basically it. Now, that would be a misdemeanor. And most people wouldn't get charged on it because unless you're unless you're using it for tax purposes, it's really meaningless. It's in your own ledger. Why would anybody even know it or care about it? And and so you're not trying to, you know, you're not trying to rip off somebody. You may just be trying to protect, you know, yourself from your wife finding out about it. I mean, that would be that would be the legal thing. And so now the statute of limitations ran out on that one. That would be viewed as a political prosecution to begin with because it's a very low-level misdemeanor even in that case. So in order to get it to a felony, if you did the business fraud in order to commit another crime, well, then it would be a low-level felony, and that's what they want to get on Trump. Well, they said, okay, he did it in order to bypass. He actually, the intent of the the fraud was to make it so it wasn't viewed as a as a uh, can, you know a campaign donation an in kind campaign donation well the problem is with it the fec that would put you know uh, decide on the violation reviewed it and couldn't find a violation mm-hmm. so you don't even have another you don't have another entity that would help you on this, they said, well, no, it's not a federal election violation. 
We thought it was a weak case because of that right there. And the fact that you're talking something that is viewed as more of a civil case than a criminal case. As example, Hillary Clinton fined Mm $113,000 because they took the money that they used to set up Trump and claimed it was just a regular campaign, you know, campaign expenditure, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. And so they got caught in doing that fraud, which we said, well, if you're going to go after Trump, and after we said it last week, after we said it, then Jonathan Turley said the same thing. You know, if you look at the Hillary Clinton case, because that would have been a business transaction between the campaign and the lawyers. And they lied to the FEC about, you know, because they put it, it was in the campaign. They, they were filing that as campaign stuff and committed fraud in, in doing it. The FEC said, you mislabeled that. Uh, and they believed that the intent was there, which why it got a $113,000 fine. But there was nothing criminal about it. And that money was used to finance the dossier, which was the lies the Democrats made up against Trump in order to get the warrant and everything else. And continue the narrative that Trump colluded with the Russians. Yeah. And so we that's the comparison we made, which we believe is a pretty good comparison. But the FEC found her in violation, and they agreed with it. The campaign agreed they did wrong, that they mm-hmm. broke the law. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing in Trump's case. None. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it doesn't really have... It, there is no direction or destination for this case at all. No real connection at all. And it makes you wonder if if the, the members of the grand jury, you asked this last hour, are they looking at this feeling duped? Like you're, you're asking us to review something, to look at something, and quite often a grand jury looks at something and they don't move to indict. But this case is as weak as it gets. Well, my question is, is it obvious to the grand jury that the DA is cherry picking the evidence so much that you as the grand jury had to take over in order to get to the truth? And that's why you allowed and wanted Costello to speak. Mm Mm-hmm. And at that point, have you lost the grand jury? Because they realize that as a prosecutor, you're actually not trying to get to the truth. Right. And even if some of these grand jury members and the majority are Democrats, they view it and say, you're playing us. doesn't matter. It's about Trump. You're playing us. And these Democrats aren't willing to be played because you're talking about well, what is he? Trump won in that in that uh, district by forty. Or excuse me, Biden won in that district of New York by forty three points over Trump, mm-hmm. and that's the whole point. Well, you can indict a ham sandwich, and certainly you can indict a ham sandwich when Bragg hates Trump and the vast majority of people uh, on that grand jury. And all you need is out of that what is it twenty three? All you need yeah. is twelve. You need twelve. You need yeah. twelve to indict, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, we've got it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're if you're delaying now, have you lost the grand jury because they believe you're being played, that they are being played? And then looking at it, well, we're going to be viewed as the bad guys down the road for terrible indictment because you take personal responsibility for it. It's an official government thing that you're doing. 
Mm-hmm. Most people go to court and even a grand jury and say, well, we're trying to find the truth and you're not. And well, yeah, you're I, not, you're, and you're not giving us anything to work with. If you want us to yeah. uh, uh, indict based on what you say is a crime, show us the crime. And his reputation might be a concern, too. And well, I don't think it would be. Well, I, I don't know that it, it you know, directly would play if he could present evidence that was clear. But Bragg's rec- reputation, keep in mind, in, in an area where the crime has skyrocketed and Democrats are not on top of the skyrocketing crime in that area, including people like Bragg. Well, no, that's a great point. Did the grand jury know, being from that era, geographical area, that Bragg is the one who said, we we don't want to make armed robbery a felony unless you pull the trigger. Right. Have they walked in and said, we're Democrats, but he's nuts? I would have to believe that his reputation is part of it. His credibility, not just Cohen's lack of credibility, but his lack of credibility in in something like this may be at play inside that room. 866-90-RED-EYE. Least owner-operators should be aware of four common revenue myths, lest you fall into the trap of mistaking revenue for profit. Myth one, concentrate on increasing revenue because costs will take care of themselves. This is not true, as costs are fundamental to the profit equation and the area where owners exert the most control to improve. Myth two, more revenue per mile is the answer to all problems. Though carrier pay packages differ in structure, revenue per mile really doesn't change much from company to company. But there can be a big difference in miles, overall gross revenue, reimbursements, and fees. Myth three, all you have to do to be successful is run a lot of miles. In reality, revenue is only half of the profit equation. Costs are the other half. It's possible to generate a lot of revenue, yet spend a dollar ten to make every dollar. Myth four, you can tell how well you're doing by the size of your settlement check. The settlement check is only a part of the success picture. Miles driven, loads hauled, conditions, mechanical problems, time off, and especially costs all have to be considered. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. What a zoo yesterday. I just want to play a couple of well, of, of audio cuts here. This is, the, this is the Democrats on the parental rights bill, which we'll actually read you the definition of the parental rights bill and what it is. But the Democrats just having to lie about it, I mean, just going ballistic over something that if 
you know, you're a parent, you look at it and you go, well, yeah, I, I should know what's going on with my child. Oh, yeah. Well, so schools should make it known what their curriculum is online so I can easily find it. Well, yeah. Listen to the Democrats' reaction to this. How disgraceful we want to terrorize the very people who love our children, keep them safe, and educate them for over eight hours daily. Our teachers are sacrificial lambs. You will never eliminate public schools. We will fight you as long as it takes. Representative uh, Frederica Wilson uh, there no idea what she's talking about, mm. has no relation to this bill at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's Representative Maxwell Frost, another Democrat. And don't say gay infringements on um, parents' rights, including LGBTQ plus and supportive parents. Don't say gay? What are you talking about? I mean, it's uh, again, it's just it's just a continuation. And then, of course, we have to have AOC, right? Uh, of course. Can't have it without AOC. Yeah. Here we go. This is a legis- this is a bill. This Republican bill is asking the government to force the outing of LGBT people before they are ready. Nobody has any idea what she's talking about, not in the bill. We've said every single major issue right now in this country the Democrats have to lie about. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um and position it in the media as something that it's not. Over and over again. Reading from the Wall Street, well, not Wall Street, or Washington Post. House Republicans are set to pass a bill Friday that would guarantee parents access to information about their children's public education. Uh, the 30-page bill would update the 1965 Elementary and Secondary Education Act to enforce that public schools make certain information available online, including class curriculums, reading lists, library books, and the school budget. Administrators would have to notify parents of any violent acts that happen on school grounds and to collaborate with them on how to best protect their child's their child's online data, among other measures. Hmm. While the House is expected to pass the bill, uh, even though uh, some of the uh, conference have concerns about government overreach, it is highly unlikely the Democrat-controlled Senate will consider the legislation. The reality positions the legislation to serve as a message for Republicans who believe a majority of voters agree with their position that parents don't have enough input on what their children experience in public schools. In an October 2022 poll, 64% of respondents said they're concerned parents don't have enough say over what their parents, or excuse me, what their children are taught. So here is a thing that says we want schools to have, you know, more, uh, you know, uh, we want them to be more transparent. Yeah. Nope. No, no, they're fighting against it every step now, of the way. Now, there is there is a point you can talk about. Should the federal government be involved in this? And does this move the federal government, even though they're updating a law, mm. does this make the federal government over schools more when it should be a state issue? Yeah, right. Fourth branch of government, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. But talking about education there and uh, the fact that the House is looking at uh, the the uh, parental rights 
act in uh, in in school and of course it's not going to get through the senate because the senate doesn't want to have a vote on it right and obviously what the republicans are doing is they want the democrats to vote on it mm-hmm. and and again you can look at this and you can say well do the republicans need to be careful because uh you know they uh they you you can't you can't as a republican state for example that you want the department of education gone and then say congress should be making laws about education in general yeah, that that, right. that and so you can make you can make that case but they don't believe it's going to pass and mm-hmm. i don't know if you ask republicans i don't know how many republicans would state that they believe the department that the federal government should have no input on education at all mm. except when it comes to the rights of the students in the court which are you know or the parental rights because there is a parental rights issue here which would be a federal issue and and that is yeah. do, do parents have do parents have the right to know what their children are doing? And that's where... You're you know, protecting the access of the parents. Exactly, which yeah. at that point would become eventually a federal court issue. So mm-hmm. you can make the, make that argument uh, at that point. But the Democrats are scared to death about this because they know where the parents stand. And the Democrats understand that if you can brainwash the kids early Mm. if you can tell uh kids you're a racist and you're always going to be one if they can tell them at a young age lies like a biological male can be a biological female because the biological male thinks so and you should be able to decide your gender and you should be able to get an operation to cut off parts of your body. And you should be able to take dangerous drugs and there's nothing wrong with it. It should be viewed as normal. When you actually have Democrats up there saying, as we have seen, McAuliffe, probably one of the reasons he probably lost the race in Virginia, as you said, parents really have no business, you know, with with what kids learn. Yeah. Are, you out of, are you out of your mind? Swalwell said it Swalwell, uh, yeah, yeah. a couple of months ago. And they're viewed as mainstream Democrats. That not only do you not have a say-so there that we're going to have the ultimate say-so for the what we deem as the uh, medical procedures, which, by the way, aren't medically necessary, right. that if a child wants to have that surgery, that the parents should be out of it. That if we want to teach children something, the parents shouldn't be a part of it. You're not going to win that with parents, ever. And they are scared to death the, the the ability to brainwash in a monopolistic system. We've all seen Randy Weingarten, mm-hmm. the head of the teachers union, and how radical she is. Mm-hmm. That's what they wish to produce. They wish to produce brainwashed young children that mirror Randy Weingarten, mm-hmm. who's a nutcase. Mm-hmm. But that's what they wish to do. Mm-hmm. And so what do they have to do? They know they can't win with the parents, so they, as we brought you those different audio cuts, they have to lie. Yeah. They have to lie and say the bill is about something that it's not about. And they will just keep insisting that the bill can't find it in the text anywhere. It doesn't matter. 
keep lying about the bill, keep lying about the bill, keep mm-hmm. lying about the bill. Mm-hmm. Pretend the bill is something that it is not. And this is just a continuation of what we said of of the Democrats on every single major issue that we face today. And we've gone through it point by point and what the truth is and what the Democrats, the lie, the Democrats are attempting to convince the people of. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem that the Democrats have. Because the Democrats aren't looking for somebody to bring new young blood with new ideas. They simply want to promote the same insane ideas, but have somebody who's a better communicator to do it. That's the problem with the Democratic Party right now. I'm wondering if they're hoping to get corporate support on this, like in Florida, Disney had the, you know, back the the liberals with their approach on this on the state level, and it didn't work out. I'm wondering if Democrats in the House are waiting for corporations to to back them on this move. I think a lot of corporations have learned stay out of it. I think that's what part of what's going on now. It's, you know, you can't predict the future, but. We haven't heard anybody, any corporation, as of yet, make a statement on this. It could be for a number of reasons. Well, they know it's not going to happen. And maybe if it were going to happen, if they felt it was going to pass the Senate, then maybe they would act. But I believe that they've learned the lesson as well. There's no doubt that Disney did. I don't know to what extent or for how long. But their CEO who was on that war path with parents in Florida is no longer the CEO. Yeah. And their stock isn't yep. what it was. That may that may be for other reasons as well, but there's no way that you can convince me that their move in Florida helped them as a corporation. It did not. And the DEI within corporations is now being thought of. Mm-hmm is now being more closely scrutinized. We brought you a couple of articles. Mm -hmm. Say companies are now looking and going, "Uh uh-oh. Somebody wasn't thinking federal lawsuits of discrimination can be brought because of these, of of the things that we wish to teach our our employees. And with now the tight labor market, people are refusing, saying, I'm not going to work under this environment. Right. I can go somewhere else. I got to mm-hmm. find out. I, I, there was n- something else I saw on Twitter yesterday. It was some other Democrat speaking there. I got to find it because it was just bizarre how they were analyzing the uh, the uh, Parental Rights uh, Act. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one I, I did bring you the one that the the one uh, congressman that said this is taking away the rights from parents. It's like no, it's doing the exact opposite. Right. Yeah. But when you have, you've had, Democrats thought they had a great victory. We've got the monopoly of education. We've been able to, over a period of time, and we warned this was happening, and parents didn't get upset until it came to their schools. It was abstract until it came to their schools. Right. Then it came to their schools. They're going, what the hell is this? It was abstract because of the way that the far left presented it. You know, and it wasn't brought to their schools. So, well, do you think that a gay student should be able to be openly gay in a school? If you present it that way, then most parents are going to go, well, sure. 
That's not what this is. They had to lie to push their agenda to this point. And now when the truth is coming out, when reality hits, then they realize that they're taking on the parents in a very different way. In that we want control of the kids. Well, and you said it. I think you're you were one of the first to say. It. I think you're in fact you're the only one that I heard say it uh in this way which is the mistake that they made in Florida was that they believed that they were fighting the governor and republicans. Right. But what they were really fighting against was the parents and that's why once DeSantis they explained this is what this about is about we don't wish to teach sexualized content to five-year-olds, mm-hmm. what the hell? What kind of hell? Kind of adult wishes to do that to begin with to a five-year-old? And if that's the hill you want to die on, bring it. Well, in November, look how DeSantis and his party performed in that state. Yep. After and, all of that, and that was one of the biggest issues that yes. the that the left attacked him for. It was the and, loudest. Yeah, it was. certainly. Yep. And so now the Republicans say, sorry, parents have the rights over their children. Yep. And it was, oh, it was someone, I got to find it was a congressperson who said that this legislation is allowing parents to be mean to their children. I got to find that audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw it yesterday. I was like, oh, man. And I didn't. No, but this I can't is exactly, believe I didn't bookmark that one. No, but this is exactly what they have been saying all along. That if you disagree with a child about the child's identity as a parent, that's abusive. That's what they say. That's why they're trying to take all of this control of the children, saying the parents don't get to say that. They don't get any say. You don't have the right to tell your child how they're going to live their life. That's what they're telling parents. That's what all of this is about. Full control of the children. They're waiting for, you know, all of this, honestly. Um, When the joint edict came down from the Obama administration, it was going to be short-lived because it was at the end of the Obama Uh, presidency but the question became and you and i knew that it was a matter of when it's going to come back it's not over but when that joint edict comes down they tell the the schools that you can't in joint edicts between the department of education and department of justice the reason the doj was on that edict is because they were telling them you are violating the students rights Well, if the school does not abide by the edict and therefore is violating the school, the students' rights, then how would the parent not be under that same measure, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's their position, how long is it before? Look, we've already had the DOJ um, label parents as terrorists for showing up at school board meetings. And how long are we before liberals say that you're violating your child's right 
If your child says something and you say no as a parent, you're violating the right. Remember back in October, we brought you the story of the Virginia Democrat who introduced a bill to prosecute parents, prosecute parents mm-hmm. who refuse mm-hmm. to treat their child as the opposite sex. Right. That we already see it in Canada. Yeah. yeah. We'll put you in jail. But it's just, it's it's insane. And they cannot promote what they truly believe. So they have to lie about what the bill is about for right. Republicans. Right. And this is across the board on every single major issue that we face today. Yep. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Friday Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. But don't discount the fact of the panic in Democrats uh, right now, especially with the Republicans pushing parental rights and parental knowledge and transparency in schools so parents can as easily as possible find out what the curriculum is, what they're teaching, what the budget of schools are, the fact of the, the last thing Democrats want in almost anything today in government is transparency. You yeah, look at right, it, right. whether it's, you know, the origins of COVID or what your child is doing in their, their, their education. They don't wish to have transparency. Why? Because they want to get away with something that they know you're not going to like. Yep. It's that simple. And they would bleed. You see it. You, you saw it with... Uh, McAuliffe, and you saw it with mm-hmm. uh, Swalwell, they'll be blunt. Yeah, Parents yeah. do not have a right to know or to dictate or to be involved in their child's education. And and that's what it comes down to. They think that you have no place in that setting whatsoever. But they've been getting away uh, you know, with all this for years, thinking that they owned it forever. On so many fronts, they thought that they owned the media forever. They thought they owned social media. And the conversation in social media. And they still do to a great extent. But when you draw a line in the sand with parents about schools and what's going on in their kids' classrooms, you're not going to win that. You're not going to win that ever. And I think, you know, the, the GOP here in introducing this bill in the House is going to get more of those on the left riled up, and you're going to see more and more viral reactions like you've seen from the left over the last few years on on this topic. And the GOP knows that that works in their favor. Oh, and I found, coming up on the top of the aisle, you'll want to hear this. Hmm. (laughs) Hakeem Jeffries, Hmm. the minority leader. Yeah. Wait to hear what the lie he has about what the parental bill is about. All right. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, 
It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the planet, 86690 Red Eye. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our app today, our Red Eye Radio app. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. And thank you. All right, so we were talking about the uh, Parental Rights Act that the Republicans are introducing. It's not going to go anywhere because it's not going to be passed in the Senate. The mm. uh, Senate won't even take it up because it's just they don't they don't want to touch it unless they have to. Right. And because what the Democrats are fighting against is uh, the parents' rights to know what's going on in their schools. Mm. And so they lie about it. Mm-hmm. And I guess the higher up, the bigger the lies. Here is Representative Hakeem Jeffries, the minority uh, leader uh, in the House of Representatives. Uh, here's what he had to say while talking about the parental oversight bill. Extreme MAGA Republicans don't want the children of America to learn about the Holocaust. Can anybody name one Republican who has said that? I one. can't. Don't know of one. So basically, Akeem Jeffries, all right, look, you people aren't lying big enough. Let me lie bigger. Now, I will admit, that is the advice that we gave the Democrats a long time ago. If you're going to lie, might as well lie bigger. Yeah. Well, and they also and are, so they are about everything. So, <clears throat> But that really started, if you think about it, that started in the Obama era. Yeah, we talked about that. He was the forefather of big lies and many lies. And it started, you know, if their lie plan had a constitution, (laughs) the first items in it would be, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Um, but then you can't outdo Joe Biden. See, there's the thing. Sorry, Mr. Obama. It's Joe Biden. And you're not going to outdo Joe Biden, Jack. He's going to lie about anything and everything and things that don't even matter. And he has. He's told a bizarre set of lies. He was lying before you were even thinking about running for office. He's been lying for decades, Jack. Think about that. He's been he's been lying about 20 years before I even became a talk show host. Right. How <laughs> dare you, time. Gary? How dare you even <laughs> criticize him? Well, call him out on his lies. Well, that was the one thing. Uh, oh, I can't think of what was the Republican who the guy who just got his first term. Can't think of his name at the moment. He's got all the different lies, you know, the, what, what he did in his life and everything Oh, else. Santos. Santos, yes. Yeah. And it was like, what, what's what's the difference that meme that came out? What's the difference between Santos and Biden? Biden's been doing it for a half century longer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you got I a mean, long way to go, Santos. It's, Sorry. It's, <laughs> Let's see. Well, what's weird is, is that, you know, the, the, the liberals, and I'm not a fan of Santos. I, oh, neither am I. You know, but 
they came out and and I thought to myself, okay, he's the guy. He's the guy you pick. You know, nothing about the the Biden lies, weird, bizarre Biden lies that he's been telling for years. Uh, Santos is, if you think about it, the meme, that meme really is based in truth in that Santos is an amateur compared to (laughs) Biden when it comes to lying. He will never have the success that Biden did. Right. Ever. I'd like to see a debate between those two. But it would all it would have to be all lies, which for you know for at least Biden, we know that that is going to be the case anyway. So have them one up each other. You know how the rappers used to have the little contest back and forth. Remember that whole thing with mm-hmm. Eminem. Remember Eminem. <laughs> I love the oldies. It's <laughs> and they would just you know throw down back and forth. I think those two should get on a stage and throw down lies, one bigger than the next. I would who, love that. Who did I see the other day? You know, it's 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 always these uh, uh, it's rock artists, and I saw somebody the other day who I hadn't seen in about f- ten years, and it's like they aged, <laughs> they aged like it looked like they aged about forty years. I I, I saw who I was saw it the other day? And, Def Leppard the other day on a on a video. yeah yeah that was okay that yeah that's yeah, that was it yes yeah, it was a Def Leppard yeah, one yeah. And, and, yeah and and that's when see I don't think I I think this is probably true with a lot of people mm-hmm. you know I know my body can't do what it used to do when I was it you know when I was eighteen years of age mm-hmm. it has a longer recovery time but still there's a lot of things I can do athletically. You know, I can I can't play basketball or hockey anymore, but I can I can work out and I work out you know quite quite a lot. Uh, and the goal is to have a much better golf game. And my golf instructor was very impressed. Yeah, with uh, my upper body strength and hitting the ball. I'll let you know that he went whoa, how old are you? And I said twenty three. Yeah, <laughs> you look horrible. <laughs> Be a smoker, <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, you just you just always I I will always and I asked my dad I said Dad did you did you picture yourself still in your mind at times it's eighteen he goes at times but uh, with the pain in my back for as long as I've had it no <laughs> yeah I, I went well I haven't got to that point no you do you get to that point but you still think. Because the mind still works very well. You just assume the rest of the body, <laughs> at times you get into that delusional state. And so you forget, you don't view yourself as getting older until you see other people that used to look young and you see them and you go, well, my God, are they old? Oh, you know, geez, so am I. <laughs> I saw this and I guess they started doing this during COVID, uh, uh, Def Leppard. I don't know why it came up in my YouTube, but the algorithm brought it up. You know, probably because I was watching other rock videos and and it came up and they have their own channel, of course, and they do a like a behind the scenes, you know, hey, let's give you a tour of the tour bus thing. And Joe Elliott looks <laughs> really old. I saw the we talked about the other day and, and I went and I just the first thing I put his name in and the picture came up. I went, well, oh, and then the guitarist, one of the guitarists, Phil Collin is still taking his shirt off, and he's older than Joe Elliott. 
He's like 65. Like, yeah. Time to put a shirt on. <laughs> I mean, Aerosmith could get away. <laughs> Joe Perry could get away with it. Because they've you know, always to, looked old. When, when, they, when they were in their 40s. Yeah. I well, mean, but, it, but they kind of always it, looked haggard, you know? <laughs> that was the thing about Aerosmith. They always kind of looked worn out like, before they ever got on stage. Like Mick Jagger. Yeah. <laughs> the Mick Jagger. They thing. always kind of looked, you know, like, oh, wow. Rough night, huh? You as, know, and then they get up and do a three-hour set. Now, so, Def Leppard still sounds great, by the right, way. Right, I mean, they've got a sound that is, it will make you thinking, it will make you, have you thinking that it is, that they're lip-syncing, that it, it's so good. I mean, it is really, really good. And I have friends that have worked with them uh, on the technical end, and they are just, that's, they're just really great well, musicians. You, you know, the thing is, when they first came out, because a lot of the late 80s stuff, mid-late 80s stuff, I really discounted. I just went, yeah. eh, hair bands. And, yeah. I, and, and I really didn't listen. What really made me appreciate Def Leppard, because I didn't when they were, I mean, Photograph, I was in music radio, and I went, eh, it's a good song. I remember adding it to our radio station. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking with him, because we had the meetings every week, and, you know, Photograph came out, I went, you know, that's an ad. That's a good, that's a, that's a good tune. That fits our top 40 format mm. wow <laughs> our top 40 format at the time and i said yeah that fits play it and so i remember it i remember one time driving around and hearing it like the first time on the station i was working at in florida yeah and it came out i go okay that fits that's a good tune but i really just because of the imagery and mtv and all that i went ah, eh, whatever they're a pop hair band and sort of discounted them it was really the cover band out of uh, louisville the Lexington Lab Band mm-hmm. that has now probably close to 300 songs on YouTube. And it's a, uh, a guy who was a church pastor who just, they started talking about music and said, you know, we should just get all these great songs and just, um, and, and just redo them. And what they do is they send, they, they get, they find the people that they want. They're all volunteers. Everything is a volunteer, Every, everything. Nobody makes any money out of it. And so Everybody goes and for like six weeks practices their part of the song. They come in, they practice it like three times, and then they do the song. And mm-hmm. the camera work, everything, everything is all volunteer. And it's impeccable. Everything is impeccable that the Lexington Lab Band does. And the first song I saw that they did when I first, you know, discovered them on YouTube was Hysteria. Yeah, yeah. And I went, whoa. That's really good. Mm-hmm. And they are so good. They did Lionel Richie's You Are. Mm-hmm. And Lionel Richie, I could same thing. I could take uh, good stuff, but it wasn't radio song. Yeah. yeah. Mind boggling live. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. my, and and I went, wow. And that's what they do. They go, we, we are we they call themselves a Lexington lab band because basically they're a laboratory. They take every song, tear it apart give the parts to everybody, come back, and try to do as perfect of a recreation of the music. They know they're not going to get the voices exactly right, and they admit it. Mm-hmm. But the music you hear at Boston, mm-hmm. foreplay long time. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. it is it is just, I'll sit there and just put it on, on, my, on my TV because my, my, uh, I have just an unbelievable home theater system. Yeah. And I'll just, I can't get any work done around the house. And right. it just goes from one song and plays them randomly. And uh, that's where I really started to appreciate the music that Def Leppard did. 
well, was when you see it in a different setting surrounding and the actual song itself and you realize and alice cooper said it you can do all the acts you can do everything you want you know mm-hmm. all the makeup all the pyro you know whatever but what matters is the song and it yeah. really is true yeah yeah i was 14 when def leppard's debut album hit in the states and it was it was 1980 and i'm thinking to myself wow you know, these guys, because they really, they were, they had more of a, uh, almost a grassroots sound. They really, it had not become that big Mutt Lang produced sound that Pyromania was. Mm-hmm. Um, and On Through the Night was just huge uh, in Del Rio. I mean, we just, man, we listened to that endlessly. You know, and so you look at that, and the band's been around basically since uh, forty-five years in one form or another. Eighty-three is when the first album came out. No, well, I mean the one that hit big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's when. Yeah, yeah. Uh, eighty is when "On Through the Night" came on. Yeah, came out, and then um, "Pyromania" was eighty-two, and. The songs really started to become big because MTV was taken off. Right. And I remember because it was 83 when we added early 83, like, right? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, 40 years ago right now, <laughs> we're adding it. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it it's, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, they look old. <laughs> well, it's, you know, you think about it and it's like, okay, they're out there for 40 years on the road. And they're, wow. all of their shows have always been big. You know, they do a long set. And when, when they hit, when Pyromania hit huge, it was just full on. They were doing, it was for Def Leppard and, and, and Bon Jovi and acts like that, it was just nonstop. You know, still to this day, I think Bon Jovi had like the number three tour in terms of its size. You know, and that was the demand back then. So I think to myself, all right, look, a little worse for the wear, but they still sound great, and that's all anybody cares about. Well, for me at that time, you know, again, when I went into, when I got into rock radio or top 40 radio, as you called it, mm-hmm. I was really, I mean, I was in my prog rock stage, mm-hmm. you know, punk had come in and everything else, but I was still prog rock. I really got into 75, 70, with, you know, with Steve Hackett and then heard, you know, King Crimson and then just, you know, uh, then, then got into the, a lot of jazz stuff, Return to Forever and all that. I was in a completely different thing. And next thing you know, I'm programming a rock station or a top 40 station and then all the pop stuff came in so i did discount it at the time mm-hmm. and i've learned to as i get older i mean then i appreciate everything today and and i appreciate what that did and and you know this as you said before it's a radio hit mm-hmm. and so you learn to really appreciate good hit you know good uh uh what do, what do they call it riffs um mm-hmm. what, uh what are they oh they don't call it riffs what do they call it it's what don kirshner uh, said about uh, carry on my wayward son that arrangements every, and, and every and, every there's a different array, that not mm-hmm. a riff but every 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 part of the song mm-hmm. is a hook mm-hmm. yeah every part of a song is a hook mm-hmm. then and he went through it you know through carry on my wayward son 
And when I started thinking about that, then I became a huge, you know, I'm a huge pop music fan now, you know, mm-hmm. that I wasn't back then. And you learn to appreciate it. So, yeah, that's one of the blessings of growing up when we did and listening to Top 40 Radio that played every, you know, genre of music. Because people go, what do you like? And I say everything. No, no, no. Really, what do you like? I go, everything. <laughs> yeah, And you're the same way. You're like me. I, it's like everything. Well, I can appreciate the work because I understand how difficult it is uh to play it much less create it yeah that's a hard business yeah acting's a hard business it's a lot of work it's a lot of work yeah long hours 866-90-RED-EYE get in touch with red eye radio toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. Some polling out. You saw the polling on uh, Biden. It seemed to be a big issue yeah. uh, yesterday that his, uh, his poll, in, in, one of the, in just one of the polls, uh, uh, well, in a few of the polls dropped, the Associated Press poll. Mm-hmm. The poll show, the one polling showing Trump up on Biden, 48-43. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things they're saying is inflation now, because this was the poll, 9 in 10 now say they're being impacted by the inflation. Right. And, well, you know, and that's, and they believe that's part of, that finally it's got, it's been so long as you and I talked about, it's two years now. Because mm-hmm. it was in March mm-hmm. of 21 where we started seeing that increase because they had passed the bill. They, no, they passed the bill now. So it was April we actually started. Because you started seeing it immediately, the increase in inflation after that bill passed. It was really amazing how quickly it came after it. So we're really, because it was two years ago that the bill was passed that they said would lead to the inflation. Right. And now we've been dealing with it since. So two years. And then when you see that the actual prices are continuing to go up, the percentage may be coming down, but the actual probably people would say, I don't know what they're talking about that anything's coming down because it's the things are going up every single month. Mm-hmm. I went to the supermarket yesterday. Mm-hmm. Eric, I was in there like six, seven minutes, and I had just the top part of the shopping cart, nothing in the big part. 103 bucks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I uh, I did notice that eggs had come down. Well, they said that was going to happen. Yeah. yeah um, they, well, they'd come down sooner than they projected, but production has increased greatly. Right. I think the demand, too, dropped drastically uh, after the first of the year. There was a report that came out that the demand for eggs after the, you know, the baking season of, of Christmas had dropped and production is on its way back to being normal.
so good, you know you want to listen again with our podcast, available on our app and at RedEyeRadioShow.com. And he's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, so on the uh, the polling, there was the Associated Press poll that uh, shows that uh, uh, Biden's approval rating is uh, is down. There was the other poll that showed it down. What was it, to 38% or 37%, something like that? It, that was one of the polls had it the lowest. Yeah, the of, Monmouth poll, I think y- that was. Yeah, yeah, the lowest of Biden's presidency so yeah. far for uh, them. You know, you and I have looked at the polls, and one of the reasons we really haven't, number one, you're you're out so far from an, from an election, but you and I uh, looked at Rasmussen, for example, that at one time had Biden's negative numbers, his approval rating, at like minus 28, 29, 30, 30. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. How low it was? Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you're talking a year later, and you've had a movement of, of, you know, 26, 27 points in that poll in the positive. We never bought that. I right. don't know why. The country did not shift. I don't know how Rasmussen is doing the polling, but none of it made sense. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at other polls, for example, and the civics poll that we've looked at and, and used many times because they do it daily – has you know they were they were at some point up to about you know twenty twenty one twenty two points and they're still right now I think he's at minus fourteen Biden mm-hmm. there wasn't a huge there might have been a ten point shift there wasn't a twenty six twenty seven point shift there's never been that kind of shift when it comes right. since Biden's numbers hit their lowest there was no reason to have that kind of shift it didn't matter uh, but you're seeing some movement now and again. One or two polls does not indicate uh, a definitive, I think, inertia. Uh, And so we'll see what the other polls do. But nearly 9 in 10 people feel impacted by the Biden economy, hit by inflation and higher prices. And most fear it's going to get worse. In the new monthly McLaughlin Associates survey, likely voters said the country is on the wrong track a trend that began last summer and has widened to a 39-point gap. Some 65% of Americans say America is on the wrong track, just 29% who said the right track. Now, wouldn't everyone right now like to have a discussion with those 26% of Americans who say the country is on the right track? Yes. How much time do we have? First off, could you put down the beer? We have a couple, uh, no. We have a couple of questions to ask. <laughs> Look, stop vaping for a moment, will you? Can, can, and, you, can you just put down the edibles for just a, <laughs> just a second? Just a second. Just a second. Please. Why do you believe the country is on the right track? What? What? Is, what well, number one, define the right track. Let's start with that. What do you think the right track is? That's a great point. You, in order, in order to actually figure it out, yeah, you do have to set what the parameters are. Yeah, and we don't know. You're simply saying, are we on the right track or the wrong track? You haven't said what does that mean, right? The crush of the economy's failings appear to be cutting deeply into President Joe Biden's approval ratings. And and this is a great point because we had talked about the recent, over the last 10 days or so, 
increase in uh, in um, uh, Trump's resurgence. And we said, okay, is it because now he is viewed as again being attacked unfairly by Democrats? Hmm. And they're saying here that they believe it's because the economy is finally getting to people and they look back and they say, okay, when was when was the economy better under Trump? Yeah. When was the last and, time the economy right. was good? And DeSantis wasn't the reason for that, right? Right. He wasn't president, never been president. Right. So that goes to that goes to uh, to Trump, but according to the survey, Biden's approval rating in this one is forty three percent. That's better than the thirty eight percent from the Associated Press. Uh, but the McLaughlin poll has never had the president that low at forty three percent. It also showed Trump on the rise, as has several other surveys in a possible twenty twenty four matchup. Trump leads Biden forty eight to forty three percent. According to the survey that gives, according to this survey that gives equal weight to Democrats and Republicans at thirty six percent, and independents at twenty eight percent. The survey showed strong support for Trump among Republicans. Some seventy four percent support Trump's bid for the GOP nomination, and sixty one percent of Republicans want him to run again. I don't get that. How could seventy four percent? Uh, support Trump's bid for a nomination, and 61% want him to run again. Isn't that the same question? Yeah, I don't know what the difference is in those two. Uh, Among his highest numbers yet with the GOP, which may recall that the economy was soaring under Trump before the coronavirus hit and began to come back around the 2020 election. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, we you often have to um, paint the picture by comparison. And politically right now, if 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 the number one thing on people's minds is inflation, if it's the biggest item that they want solved, then you look back, you have to do the math, you go back to the calendar basically saying, when was it good? That was during the Trump years. Well, you know, we have said the concern of Republicans, many Republicans, is if Trump gets the nomination, he can't win. Hmm. That's because they view and they say, okay, let's look at the impact since he won in 2016. Mm-hmm. And let's follow it, not just in from 2020. Mm-hmm. But let's follow, you know, his candidates 2022, 2018, whatever. Is is there a projection up? But as we have stated, you know, and these many of these Republicans believe, and independents that that um, uh, DeSantis can beat a Biden if that's what it ends up, and Trump can't. Mm. But as we said, with Biden and inflation, you can't. You can't give as much credibility to that as if we didn't have the inflation. Because people look back and they say, when was the economy better? If people now are concerned, and we see 9 out of 10 in that poll, and in that poll, Biden's lowest numbers, but 9 out of 10 in that same polling are being affected by inflation, that means only the rich aren't being affected by inflation. Mm Mm-hmm. 
That's the top 10% of wage earners. 90% of the wage earners then are being affected roughly, you know, uh, by inflation. And it's hitting them bad where there's now movement if this continues to be consistent in the actual polling. There's no reversal on this because inflation isn't going to get much better over the next year and a half. Right. And that's the big wild card in this election where you just cannot say Trump can't win. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. Because if, one, as we said, there is a point where people just find it completely unacceptable. Well, we just can't deal with this anymore. Any change is better. And you have a year and a half more of Biden. By the way, he was stumbling around again yesterday. Um, it's been a horrible oh. week uh, in that regard. Uh, and so the question becomes, if you can indict a ham sandwich, can that indicted ham sandwich go on to beat Biden with such a massive impact from inflation? Right. And again, though, there's the other things, too. We don't know uh, what they have in, in, in Georgia. I still feel as other legal experts do, that, you know, they say it's a stronger case in Georgia, but, in, you know, that's, again, that's making the comparison to this horrible case here. So it may be better, but is it much better? Probably not. I, I don't see it. I'm still trying to connect the dots as to why what they believe is criminal, you know, uh, in the, the Georgia election from Trump. I don't see it yet. Hmm. Uh, and on the, um, and, and on the uh, secret documents... Well, they all technically broke the law, Pence, Biden, and Trump. Mm-hmm. It's who do you par- And if you prosecute Trump, that will be viewed as absolutely political at that point. Yeah, if you go forward with that prosecution and you don't move on everything with Biden and his documents, then that's right. laughable. You're, and, you're handing him, you're handing Trump points on that one politically. But I get asked probably from my friends... Got asking in yesterday, who's going to win? I go, I don't know. Inflation's a wild card that that now that you see there, you know, it's still going to continue. And this goes right into 2025. Prices aren't going to come down. No, they're not. And the prices of things that you, and this isn't talked about enough, the prices of things that people buy are actually going up. That's, you know, food. Like I said, when I go in and I just fill up the top little portion of the shopping cart, not the big basket, that little basket that, you know, flips back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it's 103 bucks. You're like, whoa. Uh, and that continues week, day after day, week after week, month after month. By the way, gasoline prices, I noticed was, it was, uh, I paid 319 or was it 327? Mm. But remember, gas prices at the end of January were down to, Two forty nine, yeah. Uh, so, spring break is right. Gotten uh, so demand, you, but you're talking up. about a seventy percent, seventy percent, seventy or you know seventy cent plus increase mm-hmm. in yeah. in gasoline. So people are feeling that now. The summer blends are are coming in, mm-hmm. but I don't know. On vacations, you know, I've looked at the. It's still early, but I've looked at. I'm already looking at airplane flights for the rest of the year because I go visit dad once a month. And a lot of empty seats over the summertime. Lots of empty seats. Mm. But a lot of high prices. Mm-hmm. You know, when they say that, pl- you know, plane flights have gone up as high as 20%, something, they're right, they have. These are the highest flights I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. 
And, of course, uh, American as they do, hey, we've got sale prices on since I've been flying with American almost exclusively because I flew where I wanted to go since 97, 1997. They've probably had, oh, I don't know, a couple of thousand sales. The places that I go have never had a sale price mm. ever. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ever. Buffalo's always been a pretty expensive place to fly into. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why? I can go to I can go to Tampa cheaper. Why? <laughs> well, and you know, again, with summer demand and driving demand yeah. going up, you're going to see every uh, category from from oil and fuel go up as a result mm-hmm. of that. So. And, and so when you look at it, that's the wild card that nobody can predict. No one. Mm. No one can predict how the American public. It's not going to be a positive response, but it's the degree of the negative response in the election with another year and a half of inflation. And Biden telling you you're getting relief. And telling you that that's things that, yeah, that implying that prices are coming down that's and if, they're not if anybody's ever done it it's almost like the finger in your chest hey you're getting relief mm-hmm. you know how that irritates you if anybody's ever done that to you the finger in the chest bam 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 well it's that, the opposite you, of i feel your pain that's a great point it's, i don't feel your it's pain. <laughs> you feel your pain but i don't, I don't feel, feel nothing eight six six ninety red eye We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Why the car companies will be able to lose billions on EVs. You're not going to like the reason coming up here in a little bit. And the uh, news uh, uh, yesterday, maybe this is like 36 hours old, (laughs) even makes it worse for uh, Biden when it comes to uh, Hunter Biden. And uh, that is the the emails that uh, were released that uh, showed that uh, communications director Kate Benningfield, who just left, she just left the the right. uh, the uh, the White House. Assured Hunter Biden's top lieutenant in 2015 that a very damaging story from Bloomberg from a Bloomberg reporter about the family's business dealings in the Ukraine would be quashed unless editors hold a gun to her head. Now, what does it show? It shows that this was while he was vice president. That not only did Biden know about what was going on in his son's business dealings, but the actual vice president's office and his employees knew about the business dealings. Right. That's on email every single day. Tick, 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 tick. This thing keeps getting worse. I know Jonathan Turley brought it up yesterday and now is calling it, I think we did earlier, the Hogan's Heroes defense. The Schultz defense. Yeah, I know nothing. I know nothing. He goes, this isn't going to hold any water. No. And the no. media has cooperated with them and other Democrats. And eventually, they're going to either have to decide to be Schultz or just say, we got to let this guy go. Yeah.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our app today. If you can't listen live overnight, you can listen when and where you want. And thank you. All right, so where's the where's the story I just had here? Because I was we don't we don't need to spend a lot of time on this mm-hmm. except to moan and groan. Uh, <laughs> Wall Street Journal had it editorial board. Why Ford can afford to lose billions on EVs? And you're saying to yourself, okay, what has happened in the last uh, couple of weeks to make you think? Well, as an automobile company, what would give you a clue that you can lose billions and somebody will just bail you out because you're too big to fail? Oh, the banks get the bailout. Oh, okay. And that's what they're saying. Yeah. yeah. Federal subsidies and gasoline-powered trucks make the business too big to fail. So they can lose billions. They, they can be involved in doing things that they know would hurt their bottom line and can put them in peril, and the federal government will bail them out. Because that's how economics works. What's the incentive to do something stupid? Well, we've got a guaranteed bailout. You and I always yeah, looked at safety net. Yep. You know, you and I always made the comparison to the uh, the the bailouts, whether it was two thousand eight, two thousand nine, or you can make the case now. Uh, you know, the but but not the, just the bailout, but the the whole mortgage uh, debacle of two thousand eight, mm-hmm. which is what you basically did was you said uh, the the banks could have been. Uh, like uh, gamblers, mm-hmm. and you simply get a bunch of gamblers and put them on a plane and say, "Look, we're going to send you to Vegas with ten thousand bucks, mm-hmm. and whatever you win, you win. Mm-hmm. If you lose everything when you come back, we'll give you ten thousand bucks." Exactly. And that's exactly the way it went, and that's the way it's going, still going. Janet Yellen, um, I think she said it pretty much said it twice in the last week for the banks. Well, we're okay. Uh, the banks are okay. And we'll be here. Well, wait a minute. You don't think the banks are okay if you're talking. If you're talking about it, that means the banks aren't okay. And if It's a replay of 2009, right. 2008, 2009. If you're talking about implicit bailouts, oh, we're going to cover all the deposits. You know, we're going to do – And in fact, they had another column in the Wall Street Journal was Janet Yellen's blurred lines on bank depositors – are all deposits insured or not? Only she seems to know. She's hinting in both, you know, in right. in both directions. Right. She, right. she gets criticized whatever way she goes. Oh, I want to clarify that with sending the you're sending gamblers to Vegas and giving them ten thousand dollars. You're not telling them they have to spend the ten thousand dollars. They can do whatever they want, but if they lose it all, they will collect ten thousand dollars. You know, when they get on the plane to come back. So it means they're more likely to gamble because they're gamblers. Yeah, yeah. Because there is no risk of losing. Right. So they can they can do what normally might if it was their own money. Well, that's be viewed actually, as reckless that's, behavior. That would be the comparison. Yes. Go borrow ten thousand on your own credit card and take it to Vegas. And if you lose 
then we'll we'll pay you back that ten thousand. We'll guarantee yeah, the right. ten thousand because normally people would say, well, putting ten thousand on a credit card to go gamble in Vegas is stupid. Oh no, it's not because they're going to give it back if I lose it. Right, and I don't get hit interest until I get billed, so I have a yeah. good. Uh, I have at least 30 days exactly. to, to do this. So, right. Yeah. I can spend 30 days in right. Vegas. I know we'd find the right blackout drunk. <laughs> Sorry, I threw that in. That's just. <laughs> well, that's because if you walk in with that kind of cash, they're going to give you free drinks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. They do, don't they? Okay, yes. <laughs> wow. I went, I've only been, uh, let me see, I, I went one time. Because I said this, I always I only thought I spent money in a casino one time. I actually mm-hmm. did it twice. Mm-hmm. I forgot about the other time. Mm-hmm. But Vegas, I've only been to once. But that was to work. But I stayed at a casino. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I uh, was up every morning like at 3 a.m. Yeah, because you, you were doing a morning show. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, doing a morning show there for a little bit, just uh, filling in. That's all mm-hmm. I was doing. Mm-hmm. And it was all part of a job interview of a job I didn't take. Yeah. But they wanted, hey, they wanted to see how, you know, I sounded. So it's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. I wasn't doing anything at the time. And um, I put one quarter in one of the one-armed bandits. That was it. And uh, the only exci- the only interesting thing that happened was because I was waiting outside a casino at 3 in the morning, I was propositioned by a hooker. Oh. Yes, that happened. But once you spent that quarter, then the deal was off. That's all the money I had. Yeah, yeah. and I said, "What do you What do you have for a quarter?" <laughs> <laughs> and her response was, "An ounce? <laughs> no, no, a, a quarter. Yeah, <laughs> an actual quarter. Uh, no." And the only other time I forgot one time I went uh, went to see a concert in Shreveport and was staying at one of the casinos in Shreveport, mm-hmm. and I was with some friends. Yeah, and so they're like, let's go down there. So I went down that time, uh, and uh, you know I didn't s- spend anything. But that's they were the free drinks were all over the place. I went, mm. where do I pay? I don't know. It's just you know, it's just spend a little money, and it's yeah. <laughs> it's like well, but uh, that was that's really the oh no third time. Just remembered, mm. went to a concert in Cleveland one time. With my buddy Jeff. Yeah. He drove in from Buffalo. I flew in from Dallas. Went to a concert. And then he's the one that suggested, let's go down to Big B's hmm. from a Christmas story. Oh, yeah. You know, okay. the, the the department store. Right. That's right. And it was right down the street. Right. And it's their casino. So we had to go into the casino. Oh, I didn't. I don't think I spent much at all. But it was really. It, it was mobbed. I mean, just mobbed. It's, is it on a river or no? It's just no. Nah, it's like in a central square or whatever oh. down there. It's, oh, yeah. It okay. Was that wasn't right on the river? No. Yeah. It was like it looks. It was like it looked in the uh, in a Christmas story. Yeah. You know, just. Hmm. I mean, it didn't say big bees, but right, right. And so, I mean, I had. There was no choice. We're talking. That wasn't about even gambling. That was about. <laughs> no, you got to go check it out. It's a Christmas story experience. Yeah, right. Sure. Let's go in. Right. Ooh, and, a Christmas themed casino. 
There's an idea. Christmas story in Wild Casino, yeah. Well, it didn't look anything like the Christmas story once you got in. Yeah. It was a pretty, I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing operation going on. Yeah. And, but I did sit there and say, I'm only here because I went to a concert. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was not. Mm-hmm. And it was packed at one in the morning. It just mobbed. Yeah. Or in Vegas when I was there, when I got out of three, it, I mean, it was dead when I was in Vegas. Mm. Now, I was there first two weeks of January. <laughs> Yeah, that's the dead season. Yeah, and it was yeah. so it was it was it was right. pretty dead. I've been there I think it was President's Day weekend years ago. And See, it was actually cool at night. Uh it was the first time I'd ever been to Vegas where at night you kinda needed a jacket. A See, light jacket. Apparently I'd blacked out my gambling experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I forgot about the Cleveland one until I was just telling you about the Shreveport one. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wait a minute. There was one more. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. I believe that's it in, in my life. Yeah. I'm just I'm just not a gambler. I'm just yeah. never I am. I just, yeah, yeah, I like playing. Yeah, I just, you yeah. know. Only with my career. Right. Yeah, no, you got into radio. That's big enough. That's right. It's like, well, I don't got to gamble. I've been in radio for f- over 40 years now. Yeah. A lot of people know. are surprised to find that the native casinos at least – uh, the ones I've been to, they don't serve free drinks. They sodas and uh, coffee, but alcohol, no. They you have to purchase alcohol. And well, I've that's seen a, couple, a rip off. Yeah, I saw a couple of people <laughs> saying, "With as much money as I'm spending in a year, <laughs> well, that's kind of your choice." But yeah, um, but they they have free. Like soda stations. Well, in Shreveport, I was actually st- – you came down the elevator from the mm-hmm. hotel room, mm-hmm. and the casino was right there. Yeah. Those and are so the- owned by the big casino companies, yeah. uh, Harrah's and, and yeah, others yeah. that – I mean, it was good. To, and so. with the people that I was there with, yeah. and I'm thinking it was after the concert. After mm-hmm. the concert, we'd be, come on, we got to go in. It's like, yeah. Go. It was the only entertainment, so it was yeah. like, yeah, let's – We've been there a few times. Um Took my daughter there one time, one of my daughters there. She had turned 21, and we're like, okay, well, we're not going to go to Vegas. We don't have time to go to Vegas. We'll drive. It's, it's what, three, three and a half hours, I think, from here? Yeah. And so we drove to Shreveport, and I said, okay, you got to watch your mom because, you know, when she goes off on her own, she's that means she's about to hit something. And it wasn't a minute later. My wife cashed out 800 bucks. We split wow. it three ways, and my daughter was over the top overjoyed. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. I can't believe that, And which is a pretty big win, I guess. And uh, so uh, we then, and then drove home, and that was, that was her, I think, her only experience. She's been to Vegas, I think, on business. Yeah, the only reason... Um... Went to Shreveport. It was Trans-Siberian Orchestra was playing there this year. Yeah. And I think it was one year I couldn't go in Dallas. So me and a bunch of friends decided let's go there and, you know, have a nice weekend. Yeah. You know, there. So it was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when you see this here, why Ford can afford to lose billions on EVs? Because it's guaranteed gamble. Guaranteed gamble. Because the stocks rallied for the most part on Thursday, but a notable exception was Ford Motor Company which fell on the news that it will lose $3 billion this year on its electric vehicle business. Mm. This is where Ford said, now, we're not just going to – we're going to put out 
financial statements for each division independently. Right, right. We're going to show what our losses are on EVs. Right, right. This is worth noting, even if you're not a Ford shareholder, because a U.S. taxpayer could end up paying more if the company can't turn its green business around. Ford attributes the losses to the growing pains of what it says is a startup because business uh, in the venerable company, the automaker says it still expects to earn between $9 billion and $11 billion in operating profit this year, and that's owing to the sales of its traditional gas-powered vehicles, which means when you purchase a gas-powered vehicle, it probably would be cheaper if it wasn't for the fact that they were losing money on the EV division. Understand oh, yeah. right. that everybody is subsidizing the EVs. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. uh, that's it. The The money comes from the trucks and the SUVs. Because fossil fuels are essentially underwriting Ford's green business, much as they do in the electric power industry. I know at one point they had a significant stake. It was over 10% stake in Rivian. And I don't know today if that's still the case. I'd have to double and, check that. And they right here, this is, this is the best part of it all. Ford says it will keep investing in EVs and expects to reach an operating profit margin of 8% by the end of 2026, just on its EV division. That will require dramatic changes in consumer taste, as well as whatever yeah. efficiencies Ford can engineer in its production process. Right, right. Basically, that's going to require a massive, massive right. chain of events. Because when they said that, Ford says it will keep expe- investing in EVs and expects to reach an operating profit margin of 8% by the end of 2026. Is that in the company as a whole or EVs? But either way, they right. say it will require dramatic changes. They don't specify which it is. Yeah, If they're telling me that they're going to have an operating profit margin of 8%, uh, in in EVs, I would say that they are delusional. Okay, so uh, the, uh, an update here from just last month, actually, Ford sold their Rivian shares. They got out of Rivian. They have other okay. EV ventures, but, um, you know, that's the problem, is that ultimately you're going to get to a price point on the gas-powered vehicles that is just over the top. Man, you go shop for a, a, a pickup truck. Oh, man. My God. It's crazy expensive. And, you know, that's a problem. And there's still a high demand, a healthy demand. You know, the construction market really is, is uh, you know, one of the big buyers of, the, of, of, of trucks, of pickup trucks. And... That's kind of one of the indications they use on on construction and and everything else. You know how many trucks are sold and all of that. But the average buyer that goes out to buy a pickup truck, you start shopping, and you you look at that. Unless you've got cash, and you think of, think about that. Taking if you've got cash, you're going to take that cash out of savings. And put that into a pickup truck. Unless that truck is going to, you know, I mean, it depends on your wealth. But for the average person, unless that truck is going to bring you a some kind of profit, it's related to your business in some way. That's hard to justify. Well, I just paid off my 15-year mortgage. So if I'm interested in a truck, uh, is there a 15-year mortgage-like loan for a truck. I don't know. What were they up to? Eight years? Seven, eight years? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. 
on car payments. Yeah. Eight-year payments. You know, I mean. We're almost there. We're halfway there. Yeah. To a 15-year mortgage. Right. Hey. Think about that. My, in, in, in that time, if you bought the house and the truck at the same time and you finance that truck for seven or eight years, you'd have, if you were paying on it, you would be halfway through paying for that house and yeah. just now be paying off the truck. That's crazy. Hey, next month or in May, I've my truck, my my second vehicle mm-hmm. is 20 years old. It was produced in May <laughs> of uh I'm sorry, it's 20 Yeah, it's 20 years old. It was produced in May of 2003. Mm. Yeah, my vehicle's 20 and and I'm think it runs great. My it new runs, one is almost two years old already. It it, it runs <laughs> it runs great, and I keep thinking they're not going to be able to find all the parts if something breaks on this, or they're going to have to go to the junkyard. They've already had to go to the junkyard once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, when they thought when I, my computer went, but mm-hmm. then it they just they thought it was shot, and then they just was off for like a month, and they tried it again, and it worked. Yeah, <laughs> and they put that back in. They said, "Well, do you want one for the one we got from the junkyard, or the one we?" But it says it works perfectly. We just think it may have maybe had to be rebooted, turn it off and turn it on. I said, give me the same one that was in the truck. Yeah. I don't right. trust anything else. So. Right. And that was about eight years ago mm-hmm. when that happened. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, 20 years old. I keep things around. <laughs> yeah. I'd still have my old truck if it weren't for the engine yeah. issues that I had. I didn't want to rebuild that one. If it had the engine that I wanted to begin with, I would have kept it and rebuilt that engine. Eight six six ninety red eye Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. At the core of Compliance Safety Accountability, or CSA, is FMCSA's Safety Measurement System, or SMS. The SMS uses seven safety improvement categories called BASICS to examine a carrier's on-road performance and potential crash risk. The categories of basics are unsafe driving, hours of service compliance, driver fitness, controlled substances and alcohol, vehicle maintenance, hazardous materials compliance, and crash indicator. Under FMCSA's old measurement system, carrier performance was assessed in only four broad categories. Violations or crashes that have occurred within the previous 24 months of performance data are included in CSA calculations but more recent events are weighted more heavily than older events. Violations or crashes that have happened within the past six months are weighted 33% more than events that occurred six to 12 months ago. And violations that are older than a year are weighted 66% less than recent violations. This allows a carrier to improve their CSA score gradually as they see fewer and fewer violations. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carlin. and I'm Gary McNamara. More on the Bragg Grand Jury. 
Consider yourself canceled if you don't listen nightly. Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. Uh, Good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Um, all right, I just I need to qualify this because I, I talked just uh, quickly in the last segment of last uh, hour yeah. about my second vehicle that will be 20 years old right. as May. Before I get the emails, I understand if I drove the vehicle up north, it would not last 20 years. Mm-hmm. I know that. Every time I say that to anybody in the public, how's that old car? That's going to be 20 years old. You know, it wouldn't last that long because of the salt in the north. Mm. I know. Or if you lived on the coast, yeah. Or if I lived on the coast, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, because yeah. I've, I've seen rusted out frames on vehicles, you know, that are, tw- mm-hmm. you know, thir- 12, 13 years old. So I understand that odds are my father, <laughs> I'll never forget one time, he had a big Oldsmobile. And I can't remember why I was driving it, but it was in the middle of wintertime. I'm driving down the interstate at 55 miles an hour because it was in New York at the time. And the back bumper just fell right off. <laughs> wow. And it fell, and it, the bumper fell off and kept going to the side of the road. I pulled to the side of the road. I went, grabbed the bumper, picked it up, put it in the trunk. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes... You know, if your car falls apart, you just yes. put the parts in the trunk and keep just keep, keep going. going. I just kept going. Why not? Dad, the bumper fell off last night. You could super glue it back on. So no, I I do understand that, but that's the every single time I bring it up to anybody or somebody will ask me because uh, I I told you I talked to Independent Bob yesterday. He had told me before, he said, you're only keeping this vehicle because you get emotionally attached to things in your life. Yeah. Even if they're not people. Right. Yeah. And I said, well, I think it's it's a little more than that. It is practical. It was, you know, I, I paid for it when I bought it in cash, so I have no debt. I want, you know, the, because, I'm, uh, because I've been a safe driver, the insurance is nothing on it. So why not keep it around as a second vehicle? Yeah. Now you're emotionally attached to it. I will say that it is the first vehicle that I ever saw on a lot that I went, I want that vehicle. It wasn't like I need to get that vehicle just of transportation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how that's how bad the yeah. the pay in radio was for that length of time. Yeah, and I uh that's and I uh, I remember seeing my truck that I drive now. The mm-hmm. first time, it wasn't on a lot. It was on a website. But, uh, yeah, I was like, okay, that's the one I want. And who was telling you you should buy it? My wife. I did. Oh. Your wife, and so did I. Said you should My buy work it. wife. Yeah, yeah exactly. Your <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm very uncomfortable. I, it's, very uncomfortable. It's only the second time I bought a brand new vehicle. I always bought used. And, like, I mean... At one point, I was really great about finding the Sunday driver, you know, mm-hmm. uh, oh. older vehicle, low mileage, in good shape. And it takes me a long time to buy a car. I just go through over and over again. You know, it's it, I just it, 
because I never am in the shopping mode when I like need a car. That's the worst time to have to buy a car is when you, if your old one breaks down and you, you have to have something to drive. And, um, fortunately I've never been in that case. So I was able to find, and in today's, you know, with all the technology and all the apps, you can find some pretty good deals. Occasionally, I don't know about like right now. Uh, the used market had peaked in November, December of last year, and now those those prices are somewhat better. But by comparison, I don't consider it to be a good deal. I mean, you know, I would still be shopping if I were trying to buy a car now as opposed to two years ago. But I got a good deal on the truck I wanted. And it took me, you know, 30 years <laughs> uh, to pull the trigger on on a truck, on a brand new truck. You know, but you look at it, and, and we were speaking about, we were talking about Ford earlier, but I think all the OEMs right now are looking at the same thing. There, there are a couple of things. With, with our cars here in the States, for a lot of people, it, it is in part an emotional buy. You want the right car. Uh, you want as many of the amenities as you can afford. And, you know, you want a dependable vehicle and all these thoughts, the entire thought process of buying a car. But more and more, when you look at the price of cars and then the price of the money that you have to borrow, it's just, I, I just don't know how much, where that threshold is going to be for the OEMs. I really don't know. Yeah. Because, you, I mean, yeah. what what's what they've gone to is what we talked about before. We were kind of joking about it, but you just extend, okay, well, where do you want your payment? Well, we'll just, okay, that means you got a 12-year loan instead of a five-year, instead of a three-year. My gosh, on and some of these trucks, happened. if you did a three-year loan and you financed even <laughs> half of it, <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, you're talking about yeah. a house payment. It would have been more than my mortgage payment yeah. that I just finished paying off. It's funny that you said, you know, you were great finding the Sunday driver first vehicle, and my our, my brother and I owned together. Six hundred dollars we paid for it. My yeah. father found it and came back and said, "I think I found a car for you guys. Let's go over and look at it. It's driven by you know the the um, the guy bought it, the husband." He died and when it was new, and she only drove it to church. Mm-hmm. Nineteen sixty-seven Ford Fairlane GTA, three ninety cubic inch. Yeah, got six miles to the gallon. Uh probably at the age that we got it, it was almost as if we had bought heroin because I can't believe we're still alive. <laughs> Yeah, that car. Oh, oh boy, that car could go fast. I mean, that car could go fast. And I, that's one of the things I look back in my life, and every single day I say, "Well," and not just not just having that car. There's a ton of other stupid things I did in my life, you know, hanging off of cliffs and things like that. Right. <laughs> Where I every day I'm like, well. You know, if I go, I shouldn't have had, if I go today, I don't want to go. I don't want to find, you know, tomorrow I don't want to find out, okay, uh, your blood works in, you have a deadly disease, you have six months. 
I don't want to hear that. But part of me will say, well, I should have been dead about 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. Well, I was I was a young father. I bought a, a 1990 Ford Thunderbird SC. Oh. The yeah. back wheels would come out from under you on this car. <laughs> and my wife and I just decided after a very short time, we were like, you know, you know, maybe three young kids in the back seat. You know, it was a two door, uh, three young kids in the back seat. And it was like, mm. and and I just thought to my, it it made me nervous. This car was so powerful, uh, you know, for what we were doing. And, you know, by comparison, I'm sure there are a lot more powerful and faster cars out there. But we ended up trading it in on a minivan. True story. Our first wow. minivan. Wow. I actually, it was worth, it was worth a, a, you know, little bit of change. And when I traded it in on the minivan, I actually received a check back from the dealership. Because it was more, it was worth more than the, than the van we got. Now, people were amazed. So my second vehicle that I bought brand new, hmm. 1975 Ford Pinto. So many people <laughs> amazed that I'm alive after owning that yes. for as long as I did. Right. You didn't Remember. let anybody pull up behind you, did you? <laughs> no, <Ever? laughs> it's like you were always looking in the rear view yes, mirror. Exactly. But it might have been a death trap if you got hit in the, because remember that was where the gas tank was. Yeah. If you get hit, it could be yeah. a death trap. Right. And people criticize that, but they didn't look at the, the positive of that. Mm-hmm. The old Ford Pinto from that, that time period. Mm-hmm. The trunk was a perfect speaker cabinet. Yeah. You put in two, yeah, no, it two was. Jensen yeah. Yeah. coaxial speakers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, remember back, you got the AM radio. So you had the FM converter with the, I never had an A track, but the cassette deck, cassette deck with the amplifier yeah. uh, in there. Yeah. That thing. The amp that you have to put under the seat because it won't fit in the dash. The amp, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, no, we didn't put it, no, they actually fit under the dash. Mm. I don't probably like 300 watts or something. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't one that, that big, but it was enough to drive those just the two. You didn't like the speaker, you know, cars. My car, my good I mean my most the latest vehicle, my the one I drive most of the time has like 10 speakers in it. Mm-hmm. Well, this thing had two and it, it would blow the roof off of. Yeah. And these but the it was a pure speaker cabinet. It was a death trap, but a great speaker cabinet. It's like, well, if I go, the tunes are really going to be good. It's going to be loud in every way. Yeah. So I went from a 1967 Ford Fairlane GTA 390 cubic inch, six miles to the gallon, to a Ford Pinto. All right. <laughs> See, I learned very quickly I need better gas mileage. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Six miles to the gallon. Think about that. But I remember... I remember, you know, all right, time to put in the points and condensers, you know. Oh, need a new fuel pump. Need a new water pump. Remember tearing that engine apart. Mm-hmm. I look at a car today, I'm like. Yeah, forget it. No, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. No, yeah, no. forget it. <laughs> forget it. And a part of me, when st- cars started getting complicated, I went, oh, I wish I could work on the work on them. You know, you felt like, okay, I'm not in control. I used to be able to just fix anything. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, nah, just go do it. Yeah. Right. I, I work on the air long hours overnight to ensure I make extra money and and 
paying a mechanic to do it instead of me. Well, that's it. Is I, I'm 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 already putting in the work by doing this show. Yeah, I I just don't. I love the shade tree stuff. I was telling my wife the other day. I wish I had a fab shop. I wish I had that kind of room. Yeah, and I could fabricate my own, you know, things. That would be a lot of fun. But there's just there simply isn't the time that you yeah, have to be doing that full time mm-hmm. or be retired to be able to do something like that. And then all the tools, the you know, just because yeah. of you know yeah. the metric, a lot of stuff's metric and everything. Mm-hmm. Just the tools you would need for a new oh, yeah. car today yeah. would be oh yeah, you know, the cost itself. It's like no, right. it's just too much of a hassle, right? You know, so. Yeah, and the computer. Once they started putting computers in cars, it was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> My brother-in-law will still do it. He has a, a trucking company, and he still works on his own truck. Uh, and I would love to help, but he lives three and a half hours away. <laughs> that was, He's got his own shop and the whole thing, and it's fascinating, but he's just trying to get his truck running so he can get, you know, he's not doing it for a hobby. For me, I'd be going, oh, let's see if we can tear that down. He's like, no, i got to get back to work. i got to, you know, rebuild this or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I do, but I do wonder about the used car market and how much longer people are keeping their cars these days. They're keeping them longer. I know. I think Mm -hmm. the, I think people are keeping cars like, what was it? 12 years. Yeah. So that's a, that's almost the life of the loan. (laughs) You've almost got it paid off in that time. (laughs) It's really old. No, it's. You know, it's because you really don't have, you know, a lot of people don't have a, a choice. Or they just don't, even if they had the money in savings, you want to go take that and spend it on a vehicle. Yeah, you look at it because it's such a big upfront cost to begin with. And it's not going to keep its value. Or even if, even if you have the cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially a couple of years ago, because the interest rates were so low, you just say, well, it's not. I'd rather keep the cash and and pay it off with such a low interest rate. Right, right. Yeah. That was part of the debate with my mortgage. The interest rate was so low. Right, yeah. But then it came to the point of like, okay, just pay it off. Just get get rid of it. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, less there. But, yeah, a little bit of nostalgia, though, looking back at the cars you used to own. Yeah. We could talk about that for about. Ten hours between you and me, couldn't we? My granddaughter was telling me about her car the other day. I said, "What's what brand is it?" She says, "It's an Uber." Eight six six ninety red eye. Lines open for your calls. Eight six six ninety red eye on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. So there it is. I mean, uh, it's Biden's vaccine mandate for federal workers blocked by appeals court. Yeah. All right, then. President Biden's mandate uh, that about 3.5 million federal employees get vaccinated was blocked by the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals on Thursday. The president originally issued the order in September of 2021. Wow. The U.S. District Judge issued an injunction blocking the mandate. In January 2022, uh, but a three-judge uh, panel on the Fifth Circuit Court reinstated the mandate last April. The full circuit court mixed wow. it. Wow. Done.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.